At 1.30 a.m. on a very warm July night <clears throat> in the summer of 2011, my father, who was visiting with us from his home in Georgia, came into our bedroom and said someone was on the phone. I took the phone from him, still trying to wake up, and on the other end of the phone was a frantic voice of Will, the father of my son's friend, uh, Jake. I could hear yelling and commotion in the background, along with Will apologizing over and over, and then stating he had just called an ambulance as Matt was on the floor of the bathroom, unconscious, and that Matt had taken a bottle of pills in an attempt to end his life. We immediately got in the car, raced to Will's home, and followed in an ambulance to North Memorial, not knowing if Matt would still be alive by the time we arrived. This was the worst 45 minutes of my life. Matt spent a week in psychiatric lockdown after getting out of the hospital and two, <clears throat> two months in an aftercare program. During those two months and many months later, or many months after, Matt spent many nights sleeping on the floor of our bedroom as we were paralyzed by the fear of him leaving in the middle of the night and we would never see him again. There are four parts of Psalm 40 that really resonate with me. Number one, it speaks of the desolate pit. For me, the desolate pit at this point in my life was the fact that Matt was deep in the pit of addiction, and so was I. I'm a recovering alcoholic, and at this time, an active alcoholic. During the summer of 2011, our family was struggling in the throes of dysfunction with Matt and my addictions. When we or someone we love are in that pit of any struggle in life, whether it be addiction, depression, or other mental illness, having a child struggle with life, unemployment, cancer, or being overweight, I experienced all of these. My experience is that we feel a certain overwhelming emotions when we try to solve these struggles by ourselves. Fear, I was afraid all the time. Resentment, why am I an alcoholic and why is Matt an alcoholic? Anger, why is this happening to my family? But mostly we felt alone, really alone. It seems like there's no way out. I for sure don't want to share these things with anybody else. No one can possibly understand our situation. I don't want anyone else to know as I feel I will be judged and our son will be judged. That is exactly where Satan wanted me to be. With his hands firmly around my neck, feeling fear, resentment, anger, and telling me I was all alone. And there's no way out. Sherry and I were scared and overwhelmed. At the same time, Sherry's brother Steve was dying of cancer in New York. I'm struggling with my alcoholism, and our other children, Joe and Hannah, were confused and scared by everything that was going on. <clears throat> the second part of the psalm talks about the Lord hearing my cry. My life and Matt's life and our family's life began to change when we made the decision not to be alone anymore. We couldn't solve any of these problems by ourselves. While we prayed over and over for these demons to leave our lives, we found that was not enough. We had to verbalize our struggles with others in a very purposeful manner. God could heal and change our lives when we surrender our will, stop worrying about what the world thinks, and trust his world, his will. We learned three simple things. We can't do this alone, and I believe God wants us to reach out to others and share that we are struggling, because that's when he shows up. We need to ask others for help. 
I also believe the key to overcoming the fear, isolation, anger, and resentment of our struggles is seeking out the help of others who have been through the same situation. When we didn't share our struggles with anyone else, even though we prayed often, there was still a secret. I found this type of secret, not sharing or talking to others about our struggles, to be the incubator of fear. My cry was dedicating my life to working the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, doing exactly what others had done to recover. Matt's cry was to go to treatment at Hazelden, attend a sobriety high school his junior and senior year, and work the 12 steps of AA. Our friend's cry was to attend the Hazelden Family Program, open up, and talk to other parents and friends, sharing our experience and asking for help. When we share and ask for help, the struggle is no longer a secret and it loses its power. By sharing and listening to so many others, we found God's love and escape from that desolate pit. When we share and ask for help, this, um, by sharing and listening to so many others, we, we find our way out of the pit. We met so many other families that had similar struggles and found comfort and healing with them. We learned that we thought we had a plan for our life. Then God showed up and showed us the real plan. And our ability to accept his perfect plan is the key to our serenity. The only one I need to serve is God. When I put him first and serve him without worrying about what life looks like to others, I'm provided with the gift of serenity. Psalm 40 talks about a new song in my mouth. I'm so grateful God, to God that I'm an alcoholic. That may sound silly to you. Um, I'm so grateful that Matt and I found recovery at the same time in the spring of 2012 and for the journey he took our family through. I'm also grateful for the trials and tribulations our family experienced over those 10 years. I fully accept this was all part of his perfect plan. When people ask me how I am, I frequently say it's an embarrassment of blessings. It really is. Every morning I read through a gratitude list that reminds me how blessed I am in the gifts he provides every day. A God who loves me and is always there for me. A beautiful wife that stuck through me, stuck with me through 20 years of active alcoholism. That Matt is here today, working with others to help them recover from addiction, thriving in college and playing college football. Our family knows that I am always there for them. We have a church community that really cares about our family and so many other countless blessings. The last part of the psalm I want to talk about is the multiplying of wondrous deeds or gifts. Where I were, were I to proclaim and tell them, they would be more than could be counted. If I just continue to turn my life over to the care of God, give up my will and do his will, continue to ask for help, share my struggles with others, God shows up in incredible ways. I'd like to leave you with a story that provides one example of the hundreds of wondrous deeds I received from God in the five years of my recovery. This happened during the first year of Matt and I's recovery journey. <clears throat> On January 1st, Matt and I planned to attend an AA meeting together with a special purpose. In AA, you get medallions to celebrate dates of recovery. We had planned this out days in advance as I was getting a nine-month medallion and Matt was getting a six-month medallion, and we were to give each other our medallions at the meeting. 
My anticipation was building and I fought off my own expectations for this day. The day before, I discussed with Matt that I would wake him up at 11 a.m. God help him get out of bed at 11. <clears throat> so he could get ready to go. I woke up early as usual on that Sunday morning and woke Matt up at 11 o'clock. Our meeting was at noon. He, he was clearly tired and went back to sleep. My anxiousness growing, fighting the feeling to drag him out of bed versus letting go and having God determine if Matt was going to get out of bed that morning. I talked to Sherry and shared that I was leaving with, with or without Matt. And my resentment was building with, a, I knew he wouldn't get up. It's not important to him. And feeling sorry for myself, beginning to get upset that my expectation would not be met, pushing God to the side. Looking at the clock several times in the next half hour, secretly hoping Matt would not get up for some insane reason, maybe to prove I was right or me trying to make some stupid point with them, I left at 11.28 that morning, without Matt, resentment now building, and I was fighting off the ability to let it go and accept God's plan. I drove to the meeting, my mind racing with old behaviors of grandiosity that the, I'm the only one that can do everything right. I arrived at the meeting to find Tom, a passing friend of mine in the program, sitting on the front couch next to the trusted servant for the day. Filled with a feeling of pity that this day was not going to go according to my plan, I grudgingly asked him if he would give me my medallion. He said he would love to. He was a good man and full of passion for the program. I chose a chair next to the front of the room, as usual, and the meeting started. As the meeting began, I began to feel I began to feel very sad for the missed opportunity to share a very special day with my son. My heart sank and an empty feeling overwhelmed me as I looked at Tom holding the medallion he was about to present me, wishing Matt were there holding that medallion. This emotion battling the hanging resentment of picturing Matt sleeping away in bed. The chair next to me suddenly bumped and when I looked over, it was Matt's sleepy eyes looking into mine. At that moment, my heart was filled with joy, not because I was getting my way, but in thankfulness and gratitude and impressed that Matt made the effort to come in God's time. I reached over, squeezing his leg, and whispered, thanks, Matt. He simply handed me my six-month medallion so I could present it to him. I quickly got up, breaking the meeting protocol, and asked Tom if I could get the medallion back so I could give it to Matt. When the time came for our medallions, Matt quickly leapt to his feet, moving to the front of the room and announcing he had a nine-month medallion for Don. I meekly shuffled up next to him as he brimmed with confidence and pride. He said only a few words, but I could tell he was proud of the moment to stand with his dad, the two of us having gone through so much together in presenting my medallion. After his words, Matt took his chair and I had a very difficult time gathering my emotions, tears of gratitude welling up in my eyes to share how I did it. I mumbled about working with my sponsor, going to meetings, reading, praying, and doing what I was told to do. Standing in front of the room, God provided me with a moment of stability. I announced that I also had a medallion to present to my son, Matt. As Matt rose out of his chair to join in front of me, I could feel the meeting of about 50 souls surprised and happy to witness a son giving his father a medallion and then the father doing the same for his son. As he stood next to me, I cradled that six-month medallion and began sharing to the group how, my, how Matt was my son and the journey he's been on, the work he's doing, how proud I was of him, 
and thankful for the miracle of the AA, which brought my son back to me. Matt shared his experience, strength, and hope and gave me a big hug only a son can give his father. He held me tight in his grip of love. I was so grateful. God had revealed to me at this moment was the result of his perfect plan to show me I cannot control Matt's actions and trying, to only, and trying to only brings resentment and other bad behavior. And if I just let go and of his control, of my control, and trust God, he'll give me exactly what I need. As I returned to the front seat, I noticed a redhead lady in the middle of the room, smiling broadly. The exchanging medallions is very rare at meetings, rarer still between a family. In thousands of meetings I had attended, I had only ever seen it happen once. The one time that I had seen that before was the red-headed lady who I had only met once about three years ago at the same meeting that we were attending that day when she presented her a medallion to her son, Steve, who was Matt's first sponsor in AA. Thank you. <laughs>